Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in due season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. That's Psalm 1, which along with Psalm 2 and 3 are the psalms appointed for today, Monday, March the 24th, 2021. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thank you for being with me today. I appreciate that very much. Uh, we are studying today, and, and most of this week, actually. We're going to be in the book of Ruth, the book of First Timothy, and finally, the gospel according to Luke. So this season after Pentecost has a lot to say about how we're supposed to live. So we've, we've studied the life of Jesus from, from prior to the ad, to, during Advent to the incarnation on Christmas Day through then the season of Christmas, the season of Epiphany, the season of Lent, and then finally Easter and its season all the way up to Pentecost and then the following week, which is um, Trinity Sunday. So we've studied the life of Jesus. We, we should know something about this man. We should know something about what he taught, and we should then begin during this season, which lasts from now until Advent, uh, to, to put into practice those things which Jesus taught. And, and so it, it comes as no surprise that we would begin by speaking about what does it mean to walk by faith, and what does it mean to have faith in God, and what, what does it mean for us personally to have that faith, and how do we walk that out? It's not uh, necessarily an easy thing. It, it means that we do what Jesus was saying last week. Remember, he was going into Jerusalem, and as he's going there, people come up and make offers to follow him, but with um, conditions, right? I've got. Let me go say goodbye to somebody first. I have to do this first. I have to do, you know. So it's that kind of thing. And so here in the book of Ruth, what we find is a Moabite woman. And just for a quick heads up on the Moabites, who are the Moabites? The Moabites are a people that began in a, an in, by an incestuous relationship, not relationship, but incestuous act between Lot's daughter and her father. As they've left uh, fled actually from Sodom. Remember, they leave, and the, the mother looks back, and she's turned into a pillar of salt because they're not supposed to look back. They're supposed to keep their faces moving forward out of Sodom. There's nothing to look back at. It's only a tragedy and a disaster. Um, and so it's it's something that that it's a sinful thing. And so to look back into Sodom is to look back with longing for a sinful culture. And so that's what's being punished there with Lot's wife. And so then he and his daughters are in, you know, in exile, essentially. And the daughters have imbibed the morality of Sodom. And so the way that we know that is, is that they do exactly, well, they don't do exactly. They, they get dad drunk and each in turn sleeps with him. And one of his daughters, her children, are the Moabites. And so the Moabites are a despised race, right? I mean, it's the king of Moab who um, sends for uh, Balaam to come and prophesy against the Israelites. And the reason the Israelites, and he couldn't do it because God prevented him from giving a word against Israel and for the king of Moab. And and so the 
that what happens in Jewish tradition, and the reason the Moabites continue to be despised even after that, is because what they say is is that the, the king asked Balaam, well, then what can I do? If I'm not going to conquer them militarily, what do I do? And, and Balaam's response was purportedly, oh, send the women down there, and our women will corrupt them. So that that's they believe that that, that is responsible for their fall from grace and, and ultimately their exile from the land. So that's the, the setting for who this woman is, and it's the setting for the entire, um, the beginning of this whole book, which is, uh, I'm going to say it the way that rabbis say it, Elimelech. Elimelech um, is the, the uh, patriarch of the family, and then he has a wife named Ruth and two children named Malan and Killian, and they, in a time of famine and drought, leave Israel and go to Moab, uh, which would have been certainly looked down upon, and it would. And the way that that the Jews read this, and I'm going to do a whole thing on the background to the Book of Ruth, and and work through that from a Jewish perspective, because it's an important book in uh, in Judaism. Actually, it's a strange thing to hear that, but it's a very important book in Judaism. And so I want to do a whole thing on the background of of Ruth. But but the the quick story is is that that because Elimelech means either my God is king, then he has sinned greatly in doing this very thing of leaving Israel in a time of famine, and, and it's because it's a denial of his own name. So therefore, it's a denial of the truth of his name, which is my God is king. Because now, no, your God's not king is what you're telling us, because you left the land of your God and you've come to a land of other people and other gods. And so he's abandoned his people. And so in Judaism, the belief is that Elimelech was a was an important personage in Bethlehem, which is where they're from. And, and he was important there and he was a leader of the people and then he abandoned the people in time of need. So they see this, the, this story as sort of a a curse, in, in essence, or God's judgment is a better way to say that, on, on that sin of being a leader among God's people and then leaving his people in time of difficulty and also a denial of the truth of his own name that God, my God is king. And so when he leaves, he, he has made a mockery of his own name and he is taking God's name in vain, essentially. And so they leave during this period of time, he and his wife and his two sons, and they go there, and, and ultimately all three of the men in the, in the family die. They're in Moab. So they have left their people, and they have gone to a land of other people and other gods, and they have died in that place. They forsook God, and they left to go to Moab. And so they all died there. And but the boys got married before they were there and, and so they each took wives. And then after this, finally Naomi, the mother, says, I'm out of here. I'm just leaving this place. And so she arrives and her daughters in law follow her part of the way. She had heard in Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food, and so she's going back there now. <clears throat> going back to her own people. So she set out from the place and the daughters in-law go with her and they get part of the way there and and before they get out of Moab Naomi tells him hey go back to your mother's house may the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me the Lord grant that you may find rest each of you in the house of her husband and so she's blessing them to go back 
that you go back and 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 may the Lord deal kindly with you. So he's she, he she is blessing them as Moses was commanded to do was bless those who bless you. So he's she's blessing them, praying that they might find rest each in the house of her husband. In other words, they'd find another husband. And then she kissed them. They lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, no, 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 we're going to go with you to your people. And Naomi said, no, turn back. Why would you go with me? Don't I ha- do I have sons in my womb that I may- they may become your husbands? I mean, I'm not pregnant. I'm an old woman. And then turn back, go your way, for I'm too old to even have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and bear sons, would you therefore wait until they were grown? Would you refrain from marrying until these that I might bear, you know, coming forward in nine months and then dragging that forward into the future? Would you? No, you can't do that. It's exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. And so there's a judgment that she's speaking of that's gone out against her and her family. And she doesn't want this to further land on these two women who, on whom it's already landed. And so they lifted up their voices and wept again. And then Orpah, the other daughter-in-law, kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. So Ruth's not going to abandon her in this time. She's going to stay with her. So we've got this one going with her, and she, and she tries to discourage her from coming, and she says, go back. And she says, no, don't urge me to leave. <clears throat> where would I go? Where, where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people and my God, your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I'll be buried. She's leaving everything behind. She's leaving her family. She's leaving her religious belief. She's leaving everything behind and saying, I'm going. May the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. She has taken a vow on the Lord that she barely knows. She only knows it through whatever witness of this family was. And the witness of the family certainly wasn't good. Three quarters of them are killed there in Moab or die there in Moab. And so she's saying, Ruth is, from what I've seen, though, I believe in your God. And so I'm going to follow you to this place. And so that it's a powerful statement of faith that she makes, knowing as little as she does, and taking a risk on everything and leaving everything behind. She's not left any provision for the future. In fact, she says, where I die, you, where you die, I will die. She's going to die in this land. She's made a forever covenant here with her mother-in-law on this. And then in this um, gospel lesson today, Jesus um, says you people have a weird eye for judgment she could they come to him and they say hey did you uh, hear about the Galileans whose blood Pilate mixed with the sacrifices and he's, they're saying that because he's a Galilean right according to them he's a Galilean and so they come up and they say hey you know Galileans stink they're awful people um, did you see this and so that's really the point of why they make that statement he says do you think Galileans are worse sinners than all the other Galileans <coughs> These Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way. I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will perish. So don't even compare those people with the Galileans you don't even care for very much, even though they're your brothers. Don't try and do it that way. Hey, They're not even worse sinners than the other Galileans. And that probably was music to their ears. And then he says, I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will perish. So if you think those people are sinners, so are you. You're in the same boat with them or those 18 who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them, which is in Jerusalem. And so he's saying, you know, hey, you can't pull this one out and make it your your proof text, you know, that the Galileans are bad people because this happened to them. Because look what happened to the Jerusalemites here when the Tower of Siloam fell on them. 
Do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I mean, he's, again, he's comparing them to the local people. And, and so I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will perish. And so he's, he's telling them that, that you think too highly of yourselves. You don't understand. You don't understand sin. You don't understand. You're thinking in karma terms that these people were bad. And the proof of the, the fact that they were bad is this happened to them. And, and he's telling them, look, the same thing's going to happen to you unless you repent. You don't, don't think of yourselves more highly and don't think of the other people in Jerusalem that it didn't happen to more highly because these people happen to be in the wrong place at the wrong time and they suffered this particular punishment doesn't mean that they're worse than everybody else in the region. So it's even beginning at a local level, much less than applying it on a, on a, a global scale. It, no, that, that's not the way this works. That's no. <laughs> Yahweh is not karma. It's not the same thing. And then he tells a parable about a fig tree growing in a vineyard, and the, 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 it was not producing fruit. And so the landowner said, just, just dig this thing up and get rid of it. There's no purpose in it being here. And the, but the man who is the uh, vine dresser says, give it one more year, and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine, then cut it down. Let, get, let me have one more chance, one more chance. And so he's allowed to do that. It's... We, we always need to prepare ourselves for one more chance because we're always going to need one more chance. But we always have Jesus, and so that's our final chance, right? I mean, you've got to get that right. But sin and how we live our lives matters too. Um, that, those things matter deeply, and so we have an opportunity always to go back and say, Lord, I repent of my sins. I repent of these things. And if we persist in that unrepentance, then then judgment will fall on us. And it'll look like something else. Our belief is in Christ, and so we remain rooted in Him because He is the vine. And so we remain rooted in Him that we might share in His kingdom and share in eternal life. It's a, a not a, it, it's not continue. It's not completely based on us, but it, but our character of repentance shows something about what you believe. If you persist in sin, then, then we're denying that my God is king as well because at some level what we're doing is, is saying that his law, his ways matter less to me. That I, I don't take that seriously enough. I don't take the, the judgment of God seriously enough. I don't have, I've lost the fear of God. But I don't really have the love of God because I don't love him enough to keep his commandments and I persist in my sin. And in the... Uh, epistle from first timothy what we got is, is the beginning of the epistle and he's writing to to one of his own paul is he's writing to the one he considers that he is a true son timothy um and says grace mercy and peace from god the father in christ jesus our lord and then he says stay at ephesus so that you can charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine nor devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that's by faith. And then he makes it very clear why are we doing this? The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and good conscience and a sincere faith. So preachers, that's why we preach, right? The aim of the charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. So it's faith, hope, and love, right? <laughs> um, that, that's what we get in that. And that's the point of why we do everything. Is we, we're, That's the kind of disciples we're creating are those people that have love that issues from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. 
Those are the three things that we should be aiming for in all that we do. And then he says, look, these other people have come in and they've started teaching all this other nonsense. They've, they've wandered away into vain discussion. They want to be teachers of the law, but they don't understand what they're saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. And, and that can be a, a significant problem both in the church and outside the church. Um, it, it's, a, it, it's problematic in Judaism. And, and that's kind of what Paul's getting at here is, is that, that we've got, there's a problem in the teaching because it, it, it's wandered from the truth. It, it's, it, it wasn't satisfied with what it had, and so it's adding to that. And then he says the law is good, but only if one uses it faithfully. And then he tells exactly how to use it unfaithfully. And then tells what the, law, the purpose of the law is. The law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and the disobedient for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and the profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I've been entrusted. And then Paul doesn't take any pride in that. He doesn't set himself apart from other people by that proclamation. What he says is, is that, that the truth of all of this is that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And that we say that at communion in, in our uh, Anglican tradition. We say it uh, after the proclamation of um, the confession. The, the reassurance we give people partially includes that statement right there. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. But it doesn't finish that sentence, of whom I am the foremost. Paul says, I was the worst of all sinners. I was a blasphemer a persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief, which is like those who Jesus prayed for at the cross, remember? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And Paul says, I didn't know what I was doing. I was deceived. I was living under deception. Uh, and, and my deception was that I didn't see Jesus as the Messiah, as the Christ. And so I continued to sin because I, I didn't know what I was talking about. But now I've been enlightened, and so there's no way for me to go back now. I can't do that. It, it depends on enlightenment. It depends on repentance. And Paul says, I repented of that. And now the proof of his repentance is his perseverance in the faith, no matter what persecution he might face. And it's his perseverance to the end. And he's aware of that, that he, that, that he was once a persecutor. And now he's got to be a witness to the persecution in, on his own side. But he repented of his sins completely and did exactly what uh, Ruth did. And that is he forsook his own family, the family called the Jews. And he forsook that for Jesus, and that's what we're called to do as well.